Welcome to Usual Pets, an arts and poetic philosophy podcast with hosts Richard Gilbert and Jeff Cairns. For more episodes or to support the podcast, go to usualpets.com. In this episode of Usual Pets, we first present a WTF sonic cognition featuring Jeff's text and shakuhachi. Following that, we discuss the fractal arrangement of worlds, the Japanese concept of ma with respect to space and silence, darkness and the intrigue of dreams, finding the musician within, pragmatic impracticality, tunnels to love, fearlessness and peace in improvisation, and nonsense. Our conversation is also sprinkled with quotes from Jung. I was intently staring out the window just then, absorbed with no intent in what lay beyond the portal, when a dusky thrush jumped into my field of vision. It seemed to me, with that steely beeby stare some birds have, between hops, in a way that suggested strong intention. I felt it asking, Are you dangerous? Am I in danger? To that thrush, life is so simple. I saw a part of me in that fellow. There are some things in the study and playing of the traditional, vertically blown bamboo flute of Japan, called the shakuhachi, that tend to keep the learner humble if not frustrated for a long time. One is a particular type of fingering called meri. Since the instrument has only five holes, typically techniques have developed over time that allow players to produce pitches in between the pitches produced by fully opened holes, microtones. To play those microtones, one must change the velocity of airflow in the flute, reduce the attack angle of the plane of the lips to the blowing end of the flute, and, in most cases, to some degree, partially cover the open hole to which one wishes to play below in pitch. A mindful coordination is required that takes years to convert to an act of mechanical self-regulation demanded by the visual cue of notation. And then there is art. What could go wrong? A master player, once admonished we fledglings from a different nest, to love Medi notes. Truly, love is the only way along with a certain familiarity with the woodshed. I've always been intrigued by arrangements of worlds. The landscapes of moss, lichens, and other 
eukaryotic organisms. The splay of celestial bodies across the night sky, intervallic tension between wingtips in a murmur of starlings, or the other places that I go to at night. Is it mere entertainment that attracts me, or something more akin to entrainment, a desire to capture some of what I observe, to get a little on me? I see my instrument of choice as a tunnel, leading from the depths of myself, both physically and metaphorically, a vital connector. On the surface, Bambusoidae is a member of an extended family, one of rhizomes and mycelia, of earthworms and microbes. A grass that connects what is under and unseen to what is above and undiscovered, a conveyor of natural processes. In the natural world, bamboo is at first only visible to us. But in another sense, when in my hands, this gift offers itself to me, lending a voice to my heart, my soul, and my wanderings, at once compelled by my breath, muscles, and sinews to sing, does bamboo sing in its origin with a different voice? I am made to comply to the simple ways of this tunnel, though unsuspectingly. At first, I was falsely thinking that I would be the master of this instrument. How wrong could I be? What song will echo through this tunnel next? Entrance should foreshadow even the final taste of the night on memory's willingness to sample the last morsels of silver on the wave crests of the morning light, engraved in the heart song, mercurial even to the black silent ones with wandering eyes, reproached for unwitting luster in the face of poverty and despair. Lust lives in rubber gloves, afraid of the binding or what might be strung there. Crystal silence bores lightly in the wounds thoughtfully arranged on your skin. Tongues lash at the jagged edges in search of flavors only dreamt of, but the dreaming never ceases. Peaceful dreaming. We are infinitely expanded and extended by creative effort to one who lives their entire life involved in worlds of infinite space, shedding the body's husk cannot be considered a loss, but rather akin in breadth 
to that ancient pulse of German birth, a simple truth. To morph is our prerogative. Take care, caretakers. Like a thrush, fling your soul in song upon the air. Ode to a thrush. In your monologue, you said, I'm intrigued by the arrangements of worlds. Right. Landscapes of moss and lichen and uh, the display of celestial bodies. Let me preface all of this by saying what we're doing here is an attempt to communicate through words. <laughs> and as a player, I don't do this very often, you know, so I may be fumbling when I'm trying to put into words what, I, what mm. I'm feeling, you know. From a sound point of view and from what I experience through sound, it's more clear. When I spoke of my interest in different worlds, and I suggested a few of those, what came to mind was the fractal reality of those worlds mm -hmm. and how, you know, in different ways, they keep repeating themselves over and over in terms of magnification. Mm -hmm. So when you look down deeply at lichen or moss or this sort of thing, if you can get close enough, mm. it definitely looks like a landscape you've seen before. <laughs> I found some quotes from Jung okay. that seem to relate. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd present some parts of your text and then I'll throw out this quote. Sure. See where you take it. Yeah. Here's one. Your visions will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. Who looks outside dreams. Who looks inside wakes. Yeah. I don't know if that's really true. It sounds like he's putting down dreams, but maybe he means dreams like an illusion. Like, yeah, like you're, I, I think illusional. it's alluding to that, yeah. that a dream in that way of talking is an elusive state, something that you can't grasp onto and probably requires further critical thinking to really under, get a sense of, a strong sense of. There's one aspect of shakuhachi music, composed shakuhachi music mostly, that seems to be an interesting point from my perspective, and that's the concept of ma. Mm -hmm. Now, ma just means empty space. This is not unique to traditional Japanese music. It's a key aspect it's of Japanese aspect. haiku. Yeah, but, but not even, I mean, other cultures' music, mm -hmm. it's also mm -hmm. a very important aspect of it, you know. Uh, that is, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the silent spaces within the music define the music. And that's a kind of, if you think of looking at a black page with white dots on it, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the white dots or are you looking at the black page? Or are you looking at how they interact with yeah. each other? Or something know? between Yeah, them. something between. So that seems to be one of the things that is interesting to people with respect to shakuhachi and possibly would be a more difficult thing to achieve naturally on, say, an electric guitar because of the 
capability of sustain, for example, on mm -hmm. an electric guitar. Of course, you could make it not sustaining and certainly punctuate with silence if you wanted to do that. But as an acoustic instrument, the shakuhachi has no real sustain other than what the breath allows. And because we have to breathe, there's going to be silent spaces <laughs> there, you know. Or we and have, they we tend have, uh... to be the ma. And, <laughs> ah, and, and beyond that, in, with respect to honkyoku or original music that was solo music for the shakuhachi, the music was composed as it was for the shakuhachi. In other words, it was not music that was composed outside of the limitations of the instrument. It was music that was composed for the limitations mm -hmm. of the instrument. And as such, also the limitations of a wind player, mm -hmm. right? So that idea of ma sprang out of the limitations of the instrument, as does every technique that used in shakuhachi music. It sprang out of the limitations of the instrument rather than anything else. Do you feel the limitations are pretty severe? Compared yeah. to other instruments that you play? <laughs> I mean, I, I have the benefit of hindsight here. So, and yeah. playing more so-called technically advanced instruments like transverse flutes or Western instruments, you know, yeah. that were designed and developed over time to accommodate more possibilities on the instrument. Whereas the shakuhachi has not changed in several hundred years. It's still this five-hold instrument. Mm -hmm. We don't have any keys on it. We don't have any, you know, springs and levers or mm -hmm. anything else that would allow you to do things that you might want to do on the instrument. So as I talked about in the monologue, the concept of meri notes and playing microtones is something that people wanted to do mm -hmm. because it expresses something about the human condition, whatever it is. Talking about Ma is really interesting. I had a talk some years ago with Hasegawa Kai, who's a noted literary critic and has a haiku circle and journal. We talked actually quite a bit about some different types of Ma. Mm -hmm. He started off by talking about Ma within the Shinto shrine, mm. the space between the main pillars mm. of the central shrine area and, right. and relating this Ma to the sense of space between mm -hmm. with a, somewhat the implication that there's room for the sacred there in a way. There's form, but there's the space between mm -hmm. what is form. Yeah. I said, well, there's also psychological ma, is I called in-betweenness. He said, yeah, that's very important things mm. in poetry, mm. which uh, is related to disjunction. Right. In that the mind is for a moment or for, it's hard to say that it, how temporal it is, but it's not like an aha moment. There's a sudden shift out of the normative, habitual, mental process or even the experience of time and space and presence. And that can be talked about as ma also in a psychological way. I don't think that there's such a thing as haiku as I would consider it without some aspect of disjunction, in a, you know, using the Western mm -hmm. word. But mm -hmm. actually, there is no direct translation in Japanese to talk about ma in this way. Mm -hmm. You can talk about that every word 
has ma. From one word to the next is ma. And just like you were saying, there is a mm-hmm. black dots on a white page, but mm-hmm. there's something in between all that. Yeah. When you're writing a poem that's so short, there's mm-hmm. very little to it. Mm-hmm. So this aspect of Ma becomes quite foregrounded. Mm-hmm. I think that's the question of you know knowing the materials and the sensibility mm-hmm. and within a form of that poem. It relates to something that you also wrote about in the monologue. It's the section on darkness. Oh yeah, and that's why I'm. I don't think of Ma as as darkness exactly, but mm-hmm. there is this quote of Jung that I like. Um, maybe it's one of his most well-known ones. The quote is, uh, One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Yeah, I do understand that. <laughs> I mean, uh, in a sense, it's almost like we were talking earlier about uh, dreams and the sort of elusive nature nature of dreams in relation to Jung's quote about that. And... Uh, how sort of acknowledging them and becoming aware of them takes you, in a sense, out of darkness. What did you want to say about it? <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to reflect yeah. back for you some of the things that you said. Yeah, yeah. But not with the intention to say, like, what yeah. does this mean exactly yeah, or explain yeah. it. This was, I think, a poetic feeling. And I just wrote down some of the speaking text. Memory's willingness to sample the last morsels of silver on the wave crests of the morning. Mm -hmm. And I think you were describing, I like the word willingness there and memory's willingness. So you didn't say my willingness. No. But there's some effort to be willing. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's something that you're trying to do there uh, in terms of appreciation or, or retention. Yeah. I like last morsels of silver on the wave crest. I think as someone who grew up on the water, mm-hmm. yeah, you can feel the fleeting, just as the sun is coming up or going mm-hmm. down, you know, that, that mm-hmm. fleeting moments of the bright silver, silvery tips of wave crests. Well, ephemeral. interestingly enough or not, my trying to express the time when you are waking in the morning... And you're still trying to sample the dream that comes to mind Mm -hmm. at that point. You're still at a place where you can make certain sense of it and uh, bring it into recall. It's not restricted in, that's why I said memory's willingness. It's not something you're trying to confine necessarily. You're trying to maybe experience it more. Mm-hmm. in a more waking state. So I was directly referring to that. I think that's something that takes a certain amount of effort. It might be a very gentle kind of effort, but you have to be willing to not just jump out of bed. and Right. And, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's something weird happened just yeah. then. I don't know where I was, but <laughs> right. whatever. Yeah. You know, it's the opposite. No, it's especially when the dream was a good dream. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was enticing, and it was something that uh, left good impressions on you when you woke up. Or it might just be mysterious and very strange, but having a, an interesting, hmm. weird atmosphere that is somehow compelling, you know? Yeah. Somewhat frustrating to 
never quite get everything. Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, you go back, yeah. going back into or diving it. back in. Yes, yeah. diving back in. Well, then there's something else that you wrote right mm -hmm. after that. The black, silent ones with wandering eyes. Yeah. So now, now we're going into the darker. Yeah, yeah, it's totally darker. And, and again, it may well be that I wrote this after the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. Oh. And I still remember it. Really? Just absolutely clearly. Wow. And yeah, it's, it was just tremendously impressive huh. on me and meaningful uh -huh. in a very direct way. I don't know that you want me to retell that story, yeah, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to now. <laughs> I was in a place that was not really defined by anything in particular. It was a physical place that, you know, you might experience anywhere. I was sitting in a car in front of a building. It was a brick building. And uh, there was nobody with me. I was just in the driver's seat of the car. And I looked to my right side and there was a big black sedan. It's kind of like a Buick Special 58. You know, right. it was one of those big bulgy sort of, you know, American cars. There was a black hooded person sitting in the car looking straight ahead. And I sensed fear from that in, in the dream. And I decided I have to drive away. I have to drive forward. So I started driving and I looked over and the car was exactly keeping with me mm -hmm. and the figure was not moving just kind of looking straight ahead right and i felt more fear about this and i tried to go faster and faster and looked and the car was still mm. there and i came to a wall and i stopped my car at this wall and got out and stood at the bottom of the wall and I realized I have to go up that wall. Mm. So I started floating up the wall, right? I wasn't clamoring or mm -hmm. climbing or anything like that. I was just floating up the wall till I reached the peak, what seemed like a peak of a roof at the top. I reached that peak and there was the black figure mm. right next to me at the peak of the roof. But this time the we'll call it a person, turned their head and I could see inside the hood. And it was really sort of Darth Vader-ish looking, you know, it was mm. creepy, really creepy. And I knew immediately that this was the Grim Reaper. This was exactly mm. what I thought, you are the Grim Reaper. And then the, let's call it the Grim Reaper, spoke to me and said, it's time. Well, And I just got this overwhelming feeling, not of fear at all, this overwhelming feeling that this was wrong. This is not correct. Mm -hmm. This is not time. And I 
had a thought process in my dream, and I remember this, is that I have to will this Grim Reaper away. So it was like a power, mm -hmm. an energy of some sort that I just willed like Dragon Ball, you know, shooting that ray mm -hmm. of, of kind of power energy. And I just willed it at the Grim Reaper and it went away and I woke up right then. It was such a clear, I've never had such a clear dream. I've had tons of weird dreams in my life, of course, like anybody. But this one I remember 10 years later and mm -hmm. I can see the images and everything as clear as day. So the dark ones with wandering eyes was that in reference. The next line that you have in the same paragraph, reproached for unwitting luster in the face of poverty and despair. Yeah. What I felt when I yeah. read that was... What did uh, you think? I, well, I just thought, you know, you, when you were young, that you had experienced poverty and despair, but it really felt like part of your early life, part of your childhood, adulthood, young adulthood. Mm. I can relate to that yeah, myself. I think we can all relate to that. In terms of the, you know, socioeconomic situation... Yeah. But it, it's also kind of, you know, it's really society's voice on you. You know, you're, you fool. Mm -hmm. Don't what you, you see what's happening? You know, kind of thing. Did you get yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Wanting to be in the, a musician, yeah, not actually, caring about your <laughs> quote-unquote career. You should have done that or this. Well, yeah, I mean, early on, I, I did want to be a musician in terms of a full-time working musician. And I had that idea and just conditions of life made me aware that that would be a life that would cause me to have to put a lot of other things aside in order to do that, including my wife and my child, <laughs> you know, yeah. which uh, may have been a foolish way of actually looking at all that and an immature way of looking at all of that. I mean, after all, there are musicians who have families, <laughs> you know. It isn't an easy life or, or a choice, obviously. Yeah. I think maybe those words were more reflecting on my uh, sort of youthful idealism and uh, kind of causing me to make decisions that weren't based in practicality, I suppose. You're saying that now you're practical and you don't make <laughs> impractical decisions. No, I, I'm, I'm probably not saying that, but I'm saying that I'm at least able to reflect on that. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to feel that I've learned how to be practical so that I can be impractical. I can get all the practical stuff out of the way and right. still have time and space and energy. Yeah. I think that was a goal mm -hmm. that helped me get here and find like a gig that would pay the bills and right. give me artistic freedom. Yeah. To be quote-unquote impractical. The stats are that people in the Western industrialized countries are working more than ever before. Yeah. Why is that? Useless and meaningless work, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd like to take a global consensus. Raise your hand <laughs> if you feel like your work is more than 50% useless, meaningless. Right. I have a feeling that the number would be pretty high. Yeah. Just, you know, no future. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that a lot lately, but I'd like to save it for another right. talk. Yeah. It is related to uh, the darkness mm -hmm. 
aspect because I'm not sure I, I could ask you this question, whether you felt that to the extent you prioritize or valued experiencing music and performing in music and wanting to be involved in the world of, of music as a musician, that the reflection back was, uh, you know, you, you are a fool or even not, even not even visible. What you're doing has, is not significant or did you feel like you didn't care? Or I'm not sure where you're referring to, but are you talking about when I was younger? Yeah, probably before you came to Japan. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was a big point of confusion mm. to me, actually, at that time, because I equated being a musician with being a paid musician mm -hmm. and one who makes a living out of making music, you know. And I didn't... At that time, I, I never thought that you could be a relatively unpaid musician and still get satisfaction from uh, doing what you do. I later found that out, that you can do that, you know, and I'm at this point, I'm, I'm happy that that's actually the way it's gone in retrospect. Yeah, I don't think I needed actually to make money from music. I needed to make music. Mm -hmm. That's what I needed to do. And I continued to do that. So, hmm. yeah, I've never stopped. But you couldn't have been getting paid very much. I've never been paid very much. I mean, much. even then, like you said, being a paid... <laughs> oh, at the, in those days, I was never a working musician. Right. That's it was the whole a, point. That I was, was thinking was, about yeah, it. Yeah, that was a goal, not the actuality. Yeah, um, it was a goal, and it was a very immature goal, I feel. Like we're, get, we're getting this rock band together, yeah. and we're going to make yeah. it. We're going to make it. We're going to be superstars, sort of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, many people had that illusion about the whole process, I think. it is said, can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. You know, soul-making is a descent. You reach down into the rich loam of what's under undergirding culture. It's like the container for mm. spirit, you could mm. say. I'm using a particular definition of soul that James Hillman defined as that which deepens. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting into the idealism that the soul is separate from the body. It's just the sense of soul is a descent in a way. So actually some of your imagery is like that. Mm. What is unseen under the ground and mm -hmm. a tunnel even. Mm -hmm. I suppose my reference to tunnel really didn't have so much to do with what was inside the tunnel as to what was outside the tunnel. And uh, the tunnel being in a sense a conduit something that moved something from one place to another place. And as such, it doesn't impress me as a dark space or a claustrophobic space or, or anything like that, really. It really seems, in a sense, like an amplifier, something that moves something in a bigger way from one place to another place. So that's why... and. Of course, you know, a shakuhachi is a tube, so it's, it, from that point of view, I'm moving air through it and I'm doing things with it to change what's happening inside of the tube or the 
tunnel. So I'm kind of cross-referencing things there. And that's why I expressed the idea both physically and metaphorically it was a tunnel. Yeah, that's why I chose tunnel. But it doesn't, Mm -hmm. in no way do I have a sense of any kind of, you know, foreboding or darkness or frightenedness or any of that kind of thing that, yeah, sometimes people might feel that way in a tunnel. <laughs> I don't feel that way. The idea comes into my mind is something like a, almost like a wormhole in the <laughs> sense that time and space can completely shift in ways that are utterly unpredictable. And yet there is some kind of pathways through that that you can sense or intuit. In my experience, to get up on a stage mm. and be prepared to improvise with other players who are going to do something very complex in front of an audience is very much fear-inducing for me. In fact, it's almost (laughs) paralytic. And that's something that you have sought out. And even as a producer, you you know, you are ready to jump in and Mm -hmm. want to create those situations. Mm -hmm. You always have really sought out, networked, and got people together and gotten people on stage and playing all sorts of music. I would imagine, though, that it is not a completely fearless uh, no, occupation it's there. No, do- with fear. I was wondering yes. about that. I mean, yeah, it doesn't show, you know, it, you're a professional player, and as an observer, you don't go, oh, wow, he's really quaking you, in his um, boots. You, you can't be inside my skin. That's right. the whole problem there. <laughs> you know? But, well, the only thing that I can really say about that is in my 20s, 20s and 30s, I guess, I was really into reading a lot of Jiddu Krishnamurti and his whole, if you could bring his whole ideas into a nutshell, it's that our whole lives are bound by fear and to explode that fear is to uh, expand yourself and to find your true condition and your true nature. But as long as you're held in by fear, you can never experience those things. So this is where the the idea of uh, Jung's metaphor of the tree is kind of a little bit odd to me, that you have to sort of plumb into the depths to experience the other side, the expansion or the growth. I guess you have to plumb into the depths, which in ways of, of understanding I might call fear. I mean, they, they show themselves in many ways in your life, but... You plumb into those depths only to come to the realization that they don't really exist. And that's the expansive point to me, is that getting to that point and beyond. So uh, my, I think, you know, I've always felt extremely nervous on a stage in front of a bunch of people, and it's constantly putting yourself on that line and trying to find the, the peace in it, trying to find the space in it. You know, some people call that a cultured person in that realm, like a cultured musician or something like that. I'm not sure. I suppose it is in, in a way. It's just culturing. I think, in a sense, exploding the fear is something that I've always wanted to do. Mm. And I continue to try to do that. I mean, there's still loads of things I, <laughs> you know, right. I'm afraid of. I, uh, just a quick story. I used to take walks up, uh, around my house at nighttime. 
And the route that I would take would go down through the, like for people listening, we live in the countryside outside of uh, a city in, in Japan. And it's dark at nighttime. <laughs> Darkness is often a fearful place for people and me included at times. And I used to intentionally walk through a forest mm. with no lights. Mm-hmm. And I would use those moments in the forest to try to expose that fear of that mm-hmm. very basic fear of fear of the dark, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I got to a point where I just didn't really feel fearful of walking through a dark forest at nighttime. Now, I probably should have been because there are dangers there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Things you can't see. There are wild animals and poisonous snakes and things like that. <laughs> right. They exist there. But, uh, you know, maybe that was my foolishness. You're here to tell the tale. I'm of... still here. I was never attacked. Based on your dream, we've composed a musical score. The video can be seen by our Patreon subscribers. And we'll play it right now. I have a couple of different Jung quotes here to kick this one off, this last part. And they they seem to relate to each other. Uh, One is, the pendulum of the mind oscillates between sense and nonsense, not between right and wrong. That's one. And the other is, show me a sane man and I will cure him for you. (laughs) Yeah. They seem to go together. Yeah. It brings up something about artistic process. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really difficult one to grab onto for me because the concept of artistic process 
I mean, I put myself into processes uh, with an intent to achieve something artistic. We, you and I both do this, mm -hmm. you know, all the time we're doing this. It's a little bit hard for me to define that, actually. Maybe that's the nonsense part. It could be. It's just indefinable question mark or something. Yeah, it could be. But, we, but you want but you want to go enter the question. Or... It really does connect with what I was previously saying about fear. Mm -hmm. If you constrain yourself by all kinds of ideas of what should be or what mm -hmm. can be or what you should do or that, that sort of thing, my guess is you're in a way obstructing artistic process. Really, artistic process is a fearless place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can't have thoughts of like, well, no, nobody will like that, or, you know, that's not right. I'm not good yeah. enough to be here right now. Yeah, or that's another one. I can't do that. Yeah. No, uh, these things totally block all of that as far as my experience goes. So it's just a space that kind of reflects to Ma that we re previously mm. talked about. It's full of potential. And I think that's the beauty of Ma, is that it's full of potential. It's limitless potential. You know, expressing something from that limitless pool is the artistic process, I feel. Now, of course, there are people who might say, well, yeah, but then you have to make it something like this, sensible in some way, or you know, especially talking about music and mm -hmm. especially talking about very set forms of music mm -hmm. like classical uh, music, different types of classical music or pop music, for example. One of the reasons I love improvisation is because there is no restriction to it. You know, you just go in and you dive into that expanse and play in it, in a sense. And you don't care if somebody else <laughs> likes it or not necessarily. I mean, later you might care if somebody else mm -hmm. likes it or not. You might not like it later in looking back, but that's not the process. That's not the doing mm -hmm. of it. I think the area of improvisation as a risk, a kind of willing to take risks and continue to do so or to push to a new limit, You've done recently, uh, you put a band together and there were, you did all original compositions, you did a live concert, and you chose to compose music yeah. that was extremely difficult and right. difficult for the players to learn mm -hmm. and play and for you to play. And it was quite unique. We can link that in our mm -hmm. description. Mm -hmm. The Jekka Pro album yeah. came from that. Yeah. And uh, that leads me to the last part of your monologue. Mm-hmm. You ended with Ode to a Thrush, and that's right. where it started. Yeah. The idea of that bird, that other, with its eye, its BB stare, looking at you going, right. am I in danger? Yeah. It's interesting that it got to that topic of fear and danger in a way. I do have a last quote by Jung. I don't want to end on this note, but he wrote, uh, the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. Yeah. And that sounds kind of pat. Yeah, uh, But I'm not sure what that means to become who you truly are. I think now people talk about, you know, being unauthentic or authenticity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think in improvisational moments, there's no room, you know, if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. You know, who, who you are and how you play, what the, your emotional tone, your right. ability, you're on the line. Right, right. 
And whoever you are, that's who you are then. Mm -hmm. And then you can reflect on that and work, you kind of work on that too. You can say, yeah, okay, I want to do something more like this or Mm -hmm. change it like that. Yeah. There's a way in which the self is clay. Mm -hmm. There is a malleability. Who you are, it's not like you were saying about classically trained, meaning the point is that they can read from notation, but they're not able to improvise at all. It's almost a metaphor, a figurative idea in that Mm -hmm. if you're too malleable, you know, you're just a wimp, you're like a leaf in the breeze, whichever Mm -hmm. way it blows. Something about training and having form, collaborating with others too. Mm -hmm. Just in ending, I want to get back to my uh, words owed to a thrush. What I wanted to say about that was it's not specific to a thrush. It's uh, just using a bird as a metaphor here. Uh, the song of a bird is just put out. You know, birds mm-hmm. just put out. That's mm-hmm. what they do. I mean, they, they might be talking to each other for all we know, and some of them do more than others, mm-hmm. I think. But, you know, some have a very standardized song, and they sing that song their whole life, and they just put it out. So Ode to a Thrush, to me, was the idea of putting out a song like a thrush back, back. It's a kind of repaying. The thrush puts it out for free. Right. And not with the expectations, really. That was an interesting idea to me, just just putting it out there, mm. you know, um, without expectation. It's, it's a song kind of, of being uh, as being. Just being as being, yeah, that's it. It's your song, it's what you do, and maybe that's <laughs> realizing yourself. Maybe that's coming into who you are. I think that's a beautiful thought to end on. Thank you, Jeff. Mm, Okay. Thank you, Richard. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to Usual Pets on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also leave a comment at usualpets.com. If you would like to support Usual Pets, please consider becoming a patron and head over to the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash usual pets. Music for this podcast has been composed and performed by Gilbert and Cairns. 